so one of the scariest days of my life times two were the two days that I took my newborn daughters and put them in the car and we left the hospital. Any of you remember doing that? My, my girls were so tiny. I put them in that enormous car seat facing the wrong way, and I drove so slowly home. I was so careful. I was not going to hit the brakes hard. They survived my driving. Second scariest day of my life, and some of you can resonate with this as well, the day that I handed the keys to my daughters and said, you got your permit, kiddo. You're driving. My girls are great drivers. They are. They've Part of the learning process is you make some mistakes, and they did, but that's fine. They're good drivers. That really wasn't my qualm and my fear. Isn't it hard to move from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, to hand someone else the keys and say, you're in charge? It's, here's what I love about driving. I'm in charge. I set the speed. I get to pick what we're going to listen to on the radio. I get to determine how we're going to get there. I like being in charge. I like driving. I drive a lot. But to move over to the passenger seat means I'm relinquishing control. I'm relinquishing the authority to determine where I go and how I get there and how fast we go and how closely we follow the car in front of us. Right? There's just something about that. It's a control issue. Pastor John Ortberg points out when it comes to God, a lot of people like to have Jesus in the car, but we want to stay in the driver's seat and let him be a passenger. How awesome would it be to have Jesus in the car when your tires go flat? Jesus, can you take care of that? Then we're back on the way. It's great to have Jesus in the car when you're having trouble at work. Can I talk to you about this, Jesus? Can, is there something you can help me do to figure this out? Jesus in the car when you're having financial difficulties? We like that. I'm going to die someday. I want to know that it's going to work out okay. I want to go up and not down. Jesus, I want you in the car when it comes to that. But if Jesus is in the driver's seat, that means he's in charge, and that's a whole different story. That means my wallet actually belongs to him, and he gets to determine where I spend my money. And when Jesus is in the driver's seat of my life, my ego has to take second place to him. And when Jesus is in the driver's seat, I have to go back and apologize to those people that I was a little rough with. See, it's, it's one thing to be in control of your life and call all the shots, which we love. It's another thing entirely to say to someone else, including God, you're the authority and you get to do, choose what I do. So we're in this series called Believe. Jeff talked about in the video just before this about the Believe book. What we've been looking at are what are the big things that Christians believe out of the Bible? What are the things that God is trying to develop into a Christian's life? Those are virtues, and we'll get to that this fall. But here in the summer section, we're looking at what are those practices or habits that Christians embrace that link the two, the things that we know with the things that we're becoming. Today, we're looking at the habit or practice of total surrender, turning your life over to God. And if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to find Romans in it. If you're newer to the Bible and you don't have a Bible even, I'd love to give you one. If you go out to guest services on your way out today, just say, I'm looking for that Bible that Pastor Brian was talking about. They'll give you that. So it's a gift to you. And uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can go to the Bible app. Or if you don't have that or know what that is, just go to the app store or whatever that is for uh, if you don't have an iPhone. What is that? Is that the... I don't even know what it is. I've never not had... What is it? Google... Whatever they said. But you need to get the Bible app on your phone. That's my bottom line. But we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I'll just read it for us to be on the screen. Uh, so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God, because all, of he's, all that he's done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. This is the truly, truly the way that you worship God. 
Now, you may, if you've been here a few weeks, find this verse familiar. We talked about this one a few weeks ago. We were talking about the, the habit or the practice of worship. And we talked about the idea of worship's not just something we do on Sunday morning for an hour. It's more than that. That worshiping God is truly taking, like it says in this verse, your whole life, literally your body, the things you do and don't do, but it's more than that. Your creativity and your passion and your work and everything, it just becomes a gift to God. And when you're working, you're working for God, not for your boss. And when you're developing your business, you're not doing it just to make money, you're doing it for God. And when you're raising your family and everything else, it's all worship. And it's a great idea to talk to yourself and just say, this life that God gave me, it's not mine. It belongs to him. I surrender it as an act of worship to him. And uh, I just submit to his lordship in his direction. And again, it's a scary thought to think about completely surrendering all of that to somebody else. So back in World War II, the Pacific side of World War II ended on September 2nd, 1945, on the battleship USS Missouri. And the representatives of Emperor Hirohito met with the U.S. military on that battleship, and they signed the documents that ended the war. Total, unconditional surrender. I think we have a picture of that total unconditional surrender of the Japanese forces to the United States. I've always been fascinated with this. I obviously wasn't there for it, but some of you might have been alive at this time or you've seen it certainly in history class and you've seen it on the History Channel. A lot of things happened during World War II. It went both ways. They may have started it, but it was just awful. And I've always wondered why are things not more awkward between the United States and Japan In fact, there is a great relationship between Japan and the United States. A Pew Research poll just done a year or two ago found out that there is an overwhelmingly positive feeling among the Japanese and American people. It goes both ways. And eight out of 10 in both countries say, I would like it to even be stronger. And I'm looking at that going, and I've heard the stories from my grandparents' generation of all the things that happened, and I just think, how do you get to the point where can there be such a friendship between two countries when so many bad things happen? I go back to what happened on September 2nd, 1945 on the USS Missouri. There was complete and total surrender of the Japanese people. And the Americans did not take advantage of that in a way that exploited them or put them down. That's when the aid started. That's when the rebuilding started. That's when the reconciliation began to where we have such a positive relationship. It was rebuilding their economy, getting them off of a war footing and onto a place where we could actually be friends. It's kind of that imagery, it's an imperfect analogy, but it's what God wants to do for us. You might think, well, when I surrender to God, I give up everything, and it's just a very bad thing. But the irony is, when you look at surrender, and you think, well, then I'm giving up all my freedom. No, the irony is, you find the greatest freedom you will ever experience in your life when you completely surrender to God. I know it doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, but this is how it happens. It's the irony. It feels like it's very passive. I'm just giving up. No, you are doing something very active when you surrender your life to Jesus. It's incredibly powerful to say, of my own free will, I am willingly choosing to submit to God, and I'm choosing with my own free will to do what he would want me to do rather than what I want to do. It's in that moment that you, for the first time, taste true, genuine freedom. You will never have more fulfillment in your life than when you say yes to what God wants for your life. It's all up to you. Here's the key idea for today. You might call it the key habit. You can write this down if you want in your worship folder. I dedicate my life to God's purposes. It's like what Paul said in Romans 12. We surrender. We, as an act of worship, we give our whole body. I surrender everything. I dedicate my life to God's purposes.
That's really easy for me to say. If you know how to write, that's probably not very hard for you to write that down on the worship folder. In real life, that is a very hard thing to do. I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge it because uh, I don't know who I first heard this, but we all like to have our hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel of life. I want to be in the driver's seat. And I may make some mistakes, but I'm doing it my way. And that seems so important to us that I, yeah, at least nobody's telling me how to live my life. This is a hard sermon for me to preach. I'll be honest, it's probably a hard sermon to listen to. I just acknowledge that. There's some sermons that are great, like uh, God loves you. That's a great sermon. We all love that. And God has a plan for your life. Jesus will give you the grace to get through those most difficult times. If you're worried about something, just talk to him in prayer. Those, those are easy sermons to preach. They're easy sermons to hear. But a sermon where I get to stand up here and tell you, you know, sometimes we're stubborn and we're bullheaded and we sometimes insist on doing the wrong thing even when we know it's wrong just because somebody else told us not to, so we're just going to show them. You know, that's not an easy listen sermon to download and listen to. It's not an easy sermon to hear for the guy who's preaching it. <laughs> Full disclosure, I am that guy. So I get it. That it is a hard thing to say somebody else is going to have authority in my life. But I will tell you this, you will never have greater freedom and you will never find greater fulfillment than when you truly surrender to Jesus. So I want to get on the how side of this. How do you do that? What does it look like? Got your worship folder. The first thing I would tell you is you surrender, first of all, your will to God's will. That place where you make your decisions and you decide what you're going to do and not do, you surrender that to God. Which is an interesting thing. I want you to think about this. I'm not going to go very far into this. But is something done when you actually do it or is it done when you decide to do it? Haven't you made up your mind to do the thing and it doesn't matter unless somebody kills you in the process, you're going to do it, whether that's good or bad. If you're mad enough to hit somebody, you're going to hit them unless your parents or somebody interjects themselves. But that works for the good as well. Once you decide something, it's done whether you do it actually or get to it or not. So this is a powerful thing just to, to even to, in your mind to entertain the notion that I will say, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. And that's powerful. And you don't think that's hard? Just try it. <laughs> Let me read something for you. This is out of uh, Luke chapter 9. This is something Jesus taught to some people who were kind of being stubborn. I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version. It says, Jesus said to the whole crowd, If anybody would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You get that picture? If you know anything about Jesus, you know he died on a cross, but it had not happened yet. He's kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. If you want to follow me, you need to know that death is involved in that. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels when Jesus was talking this way, it was not a popular message. It wasn't well received by the people he said it to that day. He wasn't just talking to his 12 apostles. He was talking to huge crowds of people, and he had to tell them the truth. Look, if you want to follow me, you need to understand that figuratively and possibly literally, you're going to have to give up your life. Now, that's a hard thing, as we've already said. But look on the other side of that. Jesus would invite you to look at what you're giving up and what you're getting in exchange. I'm telling you, you need to give up your old life, but let's think about this old life, Jesus says. That old life is dead. It's full of sin and corruption. You've hurt yourself and other people. 
there's no life in that. There's no future in that. I'm asking you to give that up. And in exchange, I'm willing to give you eternal life. I'm willing to transform you into somebody that you could never become on your own. That good person you want to be, I can do that for you. And I can promise you that you will live forever in a real place, in a real body. You have to die to this to take this. This is the best offer anyone's ever been given in the eternity. If you think about it, why would anybody say no to that other than just pure stubbornness and just a strong desire to have your own way? But Jesus says, I can't give you this until you give up this. That's what it's all about when he talks about taking up your cross and following him. It's, first of all, denying yourself. You know, you literally act this out. Those of you who are Christians and you've been immersed in water and been baptized, you acted this out. Uh, Let me read you another verse. This is out of uh, Romans. We just already read Romans 12. Let me just read Romans 6. This is a powerful image here. Verse 3 and 4. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now, I'm pointing over here. There's a baptistry over here. It's just a container filled with water. And if you've been immersed in baptism, you know what I'm talking about. If you've not done that before, this is something, if you're wanting to follow Jesus, this is something that could be in your future. You, when you are taken under the water and immersed by the person baptizing you, it's like being buried. That's what he's talking about here in Romans 6. Christ died on Friday. He was buried Friday night. He was dead on Saturday. But then you don't stay under the water unless the person baptizing you doesn't like you. Then they... Usually you're supposed to come right back up, which illustrates resurrection, which is what Jesus did on Sunday morning. And you have a beautiful picture in your baptism of what God's doing in your life. You're giving up the old person that you're not going to get to keep anyway, and you're getting something that you will never lose. And it starts the moment that you say yes to Jesus. It's the Baptism is meant to be the first of many steps in a spiritual journey of obedience and submission to Jesus. And I say submission to Jesus because he told you to do this if you want to follow him. When Jesus told his 12 disciples, I want you to go out in the whole world. I want you to tell everybody about me. I want you to teach them everything I taught you. And when they've learned enough to know that they want in on this new life, you baptize them. You immerse them in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them everything I taught you so that they can live it out and become this new person. It's this step. You're, You're just literally obeying Jesus in something he told you to do when you do that. Heard about a church in Iran, which is an odd thing. Uh, Iran is obviously a very Muslim-dominated country. And it was like a year or two ago, a church, Christian church, was meeting, and there were as many people in there as security would allow because they have to meet in secret. It's illegal to be, become a Christian in Iran. Now, if you're already a Christian, that's technically legal, but you are not allowed to share your faith in Jesus with anyone else. That's against the law. You are not allowed to become a Christian if you're Muslim. That's against the law. But these people in this church this day. There are 38 people there who were ready to accept Jesus. They were Muslim. They were going to be baptized. And uh, pastor wasn't there. One of the associate ministers was preaching because they didn't know where their pastor was. He'd been missing for a couple of weeks. And the associate was preaching. The 38 people were lined up alongside the walls waiting for the sermon to be over so they could be baptized. And uh, while the guy was preaching, his wife walked up with a cell phone. Now, you might think, well, that's a ran. No, that was as weird there as it would be if Kirsten, my wife, walked up to me with a cell phone while I'm talking to you right now. It was like, what is going on? He took the, she said, you need to take this. So he stepped off and he listened. 
And then he came back and he told everybody what had happened. He said, we know where Pastor is now. A good Muslim friend called me secretly right now and told me he saw some, the secret police. They, they pulled his body out of a van and dumped it. And after the service, he's going to show me where it's at so we can give our pastor a proper burial. And then he said to the people who were assembled there, your pastor's dead. The man who loved you enough to tell you about Jesus has been killed because of his faith. That's the cost of following Jesus. Now, I want to know, are you still ready to be baptized now that you've witnessed the cost of following Jesus are you ready to be buried with him in baptism and raised to your new life in Christ? 38 people still said yes. None of them left. I can't wait to meet. I hope that I meet them now in this life. I know we'll meet them in heaven. What a powerful thing for them. We take it for granted that if you want to accept Jesus here in the United States, you can. If you don't, that's fine too. It's just crazy to me that somebody really has to think about, am I willing to give up my literal physical life to say yes to Jesus? But people are willing to do that. You have brothers and sisters who are doing that all over the world right now. They're surrendering their will to God. It's something you can do. And there's another part of surrendering. It's not just your will. You also, you can write this down, you surrender your life to God's direction and use. That's what the whole thing about the living sacrifice Sacrifice usually means you die, but a living sacrifice means you go on living, but God tells you, here's what I want you to do, which is really scary. Here's the mental conversation. I'll just have it for all of us. If I truly surrender to God, what's he going to ask me to do? What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? When I was a kid, I, when we started going to church, the cliche everybody said was, well, if I surrender to God, he'll have me go, go to Africa, to which I thought, well, what's wrong with that? That'd be kind of cool to go to Africa, right? It sounds like a great place. Here was my thing. If I surrender to God, what if he takes an introverted, shy kid who says five words a week and makes him be a preacher? <laughs> True story. I say more to you on Sunday than I say the whole rest of the week combined. My girls and my wife can confirm that. I'm not a talker. But, uh, you know, I will say this. True story. If God asks you to do something, it's going to work out. And it's like I said earlier, you will never find greater fulfillment and freedom than when you're doing what God wants you to do. Scary? Yeah, but roller coasters are scary too, and they're a lot of fun. So it goes with it. I promise you this. I can't guarantee you that God won't send you to Africa or make you do something you don't. Probably he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do because that's what he does. He knows what's in your best interest. Ultimately, you look back and go, oh, yeah, that was really for the best. But I guarantee you this. God will work with you right where you're at, and he will bring something out of your life that you never could have done on your own. It's phenomenal. You might find that you're loving people in a way that you never thought you had a capacity to do, just because you're taking his lead, because God is love, and he cares about people that often we ignore. So Jesus told this awesome story. It was just like a week before he died, and it's in Matthew 25. And he just says, you know, when, when I come back in all my glory with the angels, here's what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a king sitting on a throne, and there's going to be every person who ever existed before the king. And I think this is really more of a true story than just a story. But he says it's like they're sheep and goats, and they separate the sheep from the goats. And the people on the right, they're the sheep, and they're the good people. And uh, he's, he just says, on that day, the king is going to say to them, you know, I, uh, I want to invite you into my, my kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world because I was hungry and you fed me and, and I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink and I was sick and you took care of me and I was naked and you gave me clothing and I was in prison. You came to visit me. And these people are like, 
when did we ever see you naked and hungry, Jesus? Like, that never happened. And Jesus would say this, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then he turns to the other group of people, away from me. You saw me hungry and you didn't even offer me a bit of food. You saw me thirsty, you didn't offer me a glass of water. You didn't come see me when I was in prison. I was naked and you didn't share your shirt with me. You you didn't take care of me when I was sick. What's up with that? And they're going to be like, Jesus, when did we ever see you in prison? (laughs) It didn't happen. And Jesus will say the same thing to them. I tell you the truth, when you refused to help these least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. You know, this is really about submitting your life to God so that we stop seeing the world through our selfish lens that only cares about me and what's most important to me, and we start seeing the world the way God sees it. When you surrender to God, you start having a heart for things and for people that you never cared about before, and you find yourself doing crazy things. The people in your family are like, I don't know what came over you, but I think I like the new version of you. That's what God does when he gets a hold of your life, and you surrender. I'll tell you somebody who did this right. This is such a powerful story. Katie Davis. Back in December of 2006, she was an 18-year-old kid, took a mission trip to Uganda and Africa. She loved it, so she went back in 2007 to teach kindergarten in an orphanage. And she was, as she'd go to school every day, she'd see all these kids, and they were not in school. And she was asking the people, like, why don't they go to school? In Uganda, you have to pay to go to school. It's private schools or nothing. So she's like, that's not right. So she started finding people back here in the States to support and sponsor kids. So she started getting kids you know, not just into school, but food and, and medicine and uh, clothing. And, and she matched up sponsors for all these kids. So pretty soon she had 150 kids in the program. Now in 2019, there's over 600 kids in their care. It's just a phenomenal thing. She started a program to feed 1,200 hungry kids. Just a, a young teenager herself. Now, here's the most amazing thing to me, though. In January of 2008, she was still 19 years old, a single young woman, she adopted three girls who didn't have a mom. I think we got a picture. She eventually adopted something like 15, 16 kids. She since has gotten married. Can you imagine being 19 years old and adopting kids? She did that. She's got 13 adopted daughters. She and her husband now have some biological kids as well. And she said this. I I find this so inspiring. She said, people tell me I'm brave. People tell me I'm strong. People tell me good job. But here's the truth of it. I'm not really that brave and I'm not really that strong and I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm just doing what God called me to do as a follower of him. Feed his sheep. Do unto the least of his people. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not sure that you'll end up in Haiti or Uganda or somewhere, but if you do, it's going to be awesome and you're going to love it and you're going to do good things and Connection is going to sponsor you and help you with it because it's just who we are here. We want God to do whatever he wants to do in the world through us. But I look at Katie and I think there were probably two possible outcomes to her life. There's bored 19-year-old Katie sitting in a Starbucks somewhere drinking her caramel frap, wondering what she should do with the rest of her life. Or there's, you know, 19-year-old Katie who's got like 1,500 kids that she can say they're fed now because I started that program. And there's kids who are literally living in my house. And I'm a mom, and I don't know what to do with that. Which one would you choose? 
This is um, what Jesus was talking about when he said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life or her life for my sake will find it. I think she found it. And I think some of you can probably come up here and tell some stories just like that. Maybe not on that scale, but you can tell some stories of you sacrificing something for God only to find it multiplied and finding God doing amazing things in your world and in your life. And God is not a control freak. If he wanted to control your life, he already could do that. What God wants is for you to willingly choose to do things his way. The reason your life is broken as it is, and the reason my life is the way it is when it's in the places that it's messed up, is because I've insisted on doing things my way, and I haven't learned from the wisdom of God. And he's slowly fixing that, but he's never going to force you. It's really up to you to choose whether or not you follow his lead. And so maybe every day when you pray, this is not like a one and done. Oh, I was baptized 20 years ago. I'm done. No, surrender is daily. It's, you know, you have that prayer time in the morning. Make one of your prayers be, God, I need to surrender to you today. In this moment, I need to tell you that I want your way. I'm open to whatever it is. Like I've got some plans for the day, but I'm open to being redirected. And if there's something you would rather me do with my time or my resources, if there's something you want me to stop doing, I'm open to hearing that too because I am ultimately surrendering to you. You know, and surrender is really hard just because we are so selfish and we are broken and we are fallen and we have our own priorities and sometimes giving God permission to mess with that is more than we want to do. But I will tell you again, you will never find greater freedom and fulfillment then in those moments where you say, yes, God, I will do that because you asked me to do it. You said it to do it here. I've heard from enough people I trust. They're telling me I ought to be doing this. I ought to listen to them. Maybe it's to get really honest with somebody and just say, there's some things in my life I'm struggling with and I'm just not able to tackle it on my own and I trust you. Can we talk about this? I'm telling you this too. If you're in a place right now where you're thinking you're following God, but it hurts and it's painful, it could be that you're not obeying him and you're resisting. It could also be that it's a good kind of hurt. Like you've just run 18 miles and it's, it hurts, but it's a good, it's a healthy thing. It could be that you're exactly where God wants you to be and you're just going to have to get through it because there's a little bit of resistance that comes from that sinful, selfish part of you. Here's my encouragement for you today, just two things. If you are a Christian and you've already said yes to God, just make this a habit, a regular habit of saying yes to what God wants for your life, to make it a prayer, to make it an action. And if you have never surrendered to Jesus, we would love to help you do that today. Here's the thing. That's why we exist. It doesn't have to be today, but we are ready for you. The baptistry is ready. There are people who can help you say yes to Jesus by being immersed into him. I love that Chris Seidman at the Branch Church in Texas back in May shared this. It's a guy in his church. He said, and this is a picture of Randy Cohn, who's at the baptistry baptizing his 97-year-old mom, who he had been praying for since 1981. Go ahead and do the math on that. Randy has been praying for Dorothy since 1981 that she would do this, and she finally did it in May, and she's never been more alive than she is right now. And maybe some of you feel like, well, you know what? That's great for other people. It's too much water under the bridge for me. I'm not sure that God would ever want me. And his. That's not true. Don't listen to that. As long as you have a heartbeat and you're breathing, you can still say yes to God, and you can surrender to Jesus, and you will never regret that. I never have, and I'll bring up anybody up here who's followed Jesus, and they'll tell you the same thing. So Chris Tomlin, worship artist, musician, he has a song called White Flag. You may have heard it on the radio. The lyrics, is, it's all about that white flag of surrender. It's, um, 
like one of the lyrics says, we raise our white flag, we surrender all to you, all for you. The war is over and love has come. And Chris Tomlin was talking about that song. He said, white flag means surrender. It's the person waving the flag that's captured. But in the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, when we surrender, we actually win. We become free. I would like to invite you to figuratively, in your mind, wave a white flag of surrender before God this morning. God, my family, it's yours. My free time that I had plans for, it's yours if you want it. The money in my pocket that I had plans for, if you want me to do something else with it, I'm open to that. The way that I have conversations with the people around me, if, if you're trying to tell me that I need to change that, I'm open to hearing that. Are you willing to wave the white flag of surrender before God today? I want to pray for us, and I'll tell you that there is already somebody this morning who is coming to be baptized, Connor Ashlock, and you know, it doesn't have to just be one. We are ready if that's a decision that you're also ready to make. So uh, we're going to be singing a song in just a moment, and if you are ready to make that decision, I'll be down here in the front. You can come up and talk to me and tell me that's something you're ready to do. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Father, I'm so thankful for the grace that you give us through Jesus, that you give us room and patience allowing us to run our own way and yet inviting us to come back home. Yes, to surrender to you, but only because it's in our best interest. We we acknowledge that life only works when you're in charge and you're in control and you're in the driver's seat. So today, help us to do that. Help, Help us have the courage and the strength to put you first. And I pray for you to bless us as we do take steps towards you that we will find that you're already there waiting for us in love. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.